Hey everyone, you're listening to the Connect Church Podcast. We hope this sermon inspires you as well as builds your faith. Enjoy the message. All right, so today is Father's Day, but today I don't want to talk about fathers. I want to talk about men and what makes a man. Because anybody can be a boy could be a father. Really, there's all kinds of boys that are dad. You can have literal young children, 14 years, 15 years, 16 years, they can be dads. And you can have 30-year-old men that are still acting like boys, and they can be dads. And you can have 50-year-old men that act like boys, and 60-year-old men. We used to play hockey um, you would probably know who I'm talking about when I tell a story, but we used to play hockey at our church way back in the day. We'd go rent this gym out. It was a Christian school. We'd go rent this gym, and there was just one guy that always come and play, and he was a grown man, and I was in high school, and he would always just, he was like a big, big, big baby, and he just acted like a boy. He'd play sports, and he would always like take the cheap shots and hit you into the walls and all kinds of stuff. So you can have grown-ups that act like children, but today we're talking about what makes a man. What makes a man? What takes you from being a boy to a man? So today we're going to talk about that. So I want to watch a video real quick, and then after this video, we're going to talk about this. I just told myself I should never cry. I had my nose shattered in a fight. There are a lot of mixed signals in the world. I was told that being a man was being strong. We don't talk about our feelings or not. It's a a very macho culture. I never saw my dad cry except for once in my life, but it freaked me out. I remember thinking that there was something wrong. Like, I felt like a machine had, like, shut down. You bury emotion as much as you can until you physically can't hold it anymore, and then you go somewhere privately and have yourself a little cry. Never cried, actually. I've I've only cried twice in the past seven years. I was always very much belittled for any sort of uh, display of emotion. You know, back home, if somebody looks at you the wrong way or bumps into you the wrong way, you kind of have to do something about it because it's testing your manhood. Don't back down from fights. Don't be afraid to pick fights. There is a lot of violence where I'm from. I've had my nose broken three times. When you feel threatened is when you bow up. It's when you, you know, try to get that swagger on that's just so bro-y and and unrealistic. If I could instill fear in others, then they would see me as a man. When I think of masculinity, I think more of a gentleman and carrying yourself with, you know, strength and weight, not necessarily violence and aggression. Masculinity shouldn't require us to dominate everything. Thankfully, I've had the opportunity to travel and I've lived different places, and and I've seen that, that a man can be any number of things. It's not one concrete definition. When I think of what I want to be as a man, I want to be a good man. I want to be kind. I want to look out for people. There's a million types of men in the world, and there's no right way to be a guy. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, who you love. If you're confident, most people see you as masculine. It's okay to cry. It's okay to hug. Hug a man. So... What does make a man? And what makes a godly man? So when you think of a man, see this video was made uh, not by a Christian company. This was just a video to a bunch of dudes about what do you think a man is? 
And if you notice, most of the answers are like, don't be afraid to pick a fight. Don't back down from a fight. You've got to be strong. Don't let them see you cry. Uh, all those kind of things. You see, these are the pictures of what men are. Men are supposed to be strong. They're supposed to be protectors. They're supposed to be defenders. They're supposed to be providers. These are the pictures of what a man is supposed to be. So if a man is supposed to be strong, does that mean to be a man you have to be Hulk Hogan? Or you have to be uh, The Rock? Or you have to be Superman? Is that what makes you a man? If a man is being a, a defender, does that mean that you have to be a policeman or a firefighter or uh, in the army? Is that what makes you a man? Or if it's being a provider, does it mean to be a man and really provide that you have to be Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett or somebody who makes tons and tons of money? Are these all pictures? If those are the things that people think define a man, do you have to be those things to be a man? No, you don't. So what is a man? What's a man? It's a really interesting question. I was scouring the deep interwebs yesterday trying to find answers to these questions. And you know what I did find? There wasn't any real clear answers of what anybody could really define what they thought a man was supposed to be. Isn't that interesting? Everybody has a different idea and a different picture of what they think men are supposed to be. That one guy said in the video, he said, there's a million different ways to be a man. And that's pretty accurate. Because we don't really know what it means to be a man. What does it mean to be a man? Does it just mean that you have the Y and the X chromosome? Is that what makes you a man? Just having the, that genetic makeup? Is that what makes us a man? Is it just because... Uh, you're a guy, and that's it? That's all there is to it? No, there's got to be more to being a man, doesn't there? There's got to be more to being a man. There's got to be more to growing from a boy to a man. So today what we're going to talk about is what makes a godly man. So I'm talking to the men today, but ladies, it's good for you to hear this too, so you know what makes a godly man. And what you need to look for in your husband or your future husband or your kids your boys, you need to say, what does a godly man look like? And we take a look at this and be like, okay, now, if he's not matching up with this, something is not clear. Something is not working right. I'm not sure what everybody's staring at so intently, I feel like. Is it the flamingos? Are they dancing on my shirt while I talk? Is that what's happening right here? It is a manly shirt. The one thing everybody could decide on was this shirt was manly. That's what, that's what they could decide on. Has anybody seen Gladiator here? Speaking of manly men. <laughs> it was a good man. It was a good movie, wasn't it? And didn't Russell Crowe, like, wow, he played a man. Nope. <laughs> Not that song. <laughs> well... The emperor that was in power in that movie was Marcus Aurelius. Did you know that? Marcus Aurelius. And that was in the year A.D. 160-ish. There was a man named Polycarp, who was the bush, bishop of Smyrna. Have any, any of you heard of Polycarp? Mm -hmm. So Polycarp was a bishop at a church, and Marcus Aurelius was 
part of what they call the fourth persecution of the Christians. And one night, Polycarp was at his house in bed, and the persecution of the Christians had begun again. And, the, and uh, if you read in Fox's Book of Martyrs, it tells the story of Polycarp. And what happens is Polycarp is in bed, he's asleep, he hears a knock on the door, his servants go down and open the door up, and it's the men that have come to arrest him and take him for trial and either get him to recant his beliefs and his faith in Jesus Christ, or they're going to kill him. Polycarp asks them if they will sit down and have dinner while he goes and prays for one hour. So these guards come in. Now, look, Polycarp isn't a young man. He's 86-ish, maybe, maybe even older. But he's an old guy. And Fox's Book of Martyrs says that he goes and sits down and prays for an hour. At the end of, this, at the end of his hour, when his prayers are done, he gets up and he goes with his guys, and they go take him to the council. And the council is trying to get him to recant that Jesus isn't the way, that Jesus isn't the truth, that Jesus isn't the life, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead again. If he will save all this stuff, then they won't kill him. And he says, I have never, he has never done me wrong in the 86 years that I've served him. I'm not going to turn my back on him now, is what Polycarp says. And he says, think about your old age. Think about how, how painful and how hard this is going to be. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change my mind. So they, they, he says, do what you're going to do. And so they pack him up on a donkey and they lead him into the Colosseum. And in this, in this story, as Polycarp is being led into the stadium, there's a voice from the heavens that says this. Nobody's around, nobody, like people are around, but there's nobody saying this that anybody could identify. Now this comes, this isn't a story. This is from historical accounts, Josephus and Eusebius, who are Greek historians who have, who have written these things down for us through this. So it's not from the Bible. This is from historians, and they give this account. And there was a voice from the heavens that said, Polycarp, be strong and play the man. Be strong and play the man. So they march Polycarp in there. They're getting ready to kill him. And they go to go tie him up, and they're going to they're gonna stake his feet because they're going to burn him alive is what they're getting ready to do. So they're getting ready to stake him. Polycarp says this to them. And man, this is, this is playing the man. Because I don't know if I would say this. He says, leave it be. You don't need to do that. I'm not going to run off anywhere. He says something like, he who's given me the strength to sustain this will allow me to stay here as well. Saying, you don't have to tie me up because I'm going to stand right here and let you burn me. So they don't, they don't spear him to the fire. They just leave him there. They, they tie him up with ropes, but that's it. They go and light the fire. And the book says the flames go up, but they won't consume him. They're all around him, but they won't touch him. This guy. They just can't kill this guy. He won't change his mind. And now they're trying to kill him. They won't kill him. So one of the soldiers pulls out his sword, and they, he stabs him. And the account tells us that there was so much blood that came out of um, Polycarp that it quenched the flames of the fire. They're just not winning with Polycarp. <laughs> so the account says that he dies from the, from the wound from the sword, and then they, bury, they burn his, his body, and they take the ashes, and they bury him. What's my point? 
is I've had this phrase in my head all week long. I've been thinking about Father's Day. I've been thinking about men. And I've been thinking about the story of Polycarp, which says, be strong and play the man. So let's talk about for a few minutes what makes a man. How do you be strong? How do you be a godly man? No one really seems to know. In a day, in a day of uh, gender dysphoria, where there is confusion, when our roles are being redefined all around us, when you're not, you know, if you, yeah, sure, maybe you have the genetic makeup of a man, but maybe you're not a man on the inside, or maybe you're not a girl. There's all these things. I was talking to the guy here that cleans the school. We were having a conversation um, before church last week. And uh, I said, you know, man, because we were talking about they've changed all the signs on the bathrooms here. So it's not guys and girls bathroom anymore. It's just bathroom. And you see that happening in all the restaurants. And you see that in the malls. They're all slowly changing over. I said, man, I said, when you were a kid, did you ever think this would be a conversation we'd be having? No. No. I, when I was... Eight years old, growing up, I never thought to myself, you know, in the future, I thought about the future all the time. And I was sure, because Popular Science Magazine told us that by the year 2000, we would have flying cars, we would have hoverboards like in Back to the Future 2 that Marty McFly was skating around on. Do you know what I'm talking about? I was sure we were going to have those things, and I could not wait. The one thing that I had never even crossed my mind was that in the year 2018, people were going to start deciding that even though they were genetically made as one sex, that suddenly we begin to talk about, oh, maybe I'm not the sex that I made. And we were watching a video the other day, and it was a, a doctor in the States, and she said, you know, if I walked into my office, this is a woman, and she said, if I walked into my office and said, good morning, everybody, my name is Margaret Thatcher. Everybody would say, mm, no, you're not. And she said, my doctor would prescribe me antipsychotic pills because I was having paranoid delusions. She said, but if I walked into my office and said, guys, guess what? I'm really a man. She said, my, my doctor would say, congratulations. So we're living in a day and age where all these things are for question, and we need to know what makes a man, what makes a woman, so that we can raise our children, so that we can live in a world where there's not such confusion and not such paranoia and not the lies of the enemy permeating every, every area of our lives, right? So what makes a godly man? So the first thing I think about, what's the difference between a boy and a man? I think the difference between a boy and a man is character. I think a boy in their young age, and as they grow up, I think everything's about them. Their life is about them. What they can get, what they can do, where they can go, everything is about them. But I think as you become a man, there's responsibilities and weights and burdens that you have to bear, and suddenly your worldview changes from me to outward and to others. And in Ephesians chapter 4, let's look at a scripture, because it's good to look at your Bible, isn't it? It's good to read your Bible, isn't it? If you want to know the truth, where are you going to find it but the Word? Ephesians is in the New Testament, just a clarification. Ephesians chapter four, uh, 5, sorry. And in verse 25, it says this. Now, he's talking to husbands. He's talking about husbands and wives. But in verse 25, he's talking to husbands. And he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And what did he do for the church? 
He gave up his life for her. One of the most famous scriptures in the Bible is John 3.16 that says this, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. See, love is sacrifice. If you really want to boil it down, love's not about what you can get. Love's about what you give. Love's not how you make me feel. Love's not what, when, when, we, when church is over today and we go off a Father's Day lunch, it's not all about me and it's not about the presents I get and, and, and everybody doing all these nice things for me or for your dads or whatever. That's not about it. It's about what I do for people. And what did Christ do and what are we supposed to do? Lay our lives down. That's what men are called to do. You are called to lay your lives down. Ladies, if you are looking for a man in your life, mothers, when you are looking at your children, women, when you are looking at your husbands, their role is to lay down their lives for you. That's what they are supposed to be doing. It's my job to serve Jen. It's my job to lay my life down for my kids. That's what I'm supposed to do. It says that Christ laid his life down for the church, and that's what we are supposed to do. So when you're looking for somebody, or when you're looking at your kids to see how your kids are being raised, if they're not laying their lives down, something is not adding up. And they are still in boyhood, boyhood not moving into manhood. And we need to raise a generation of men, not a generation of boys. That was good, right? That was good. <laughs> that was good, wasn't it, Randall? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Just making sure. Could you imagine? See, hmm. could you imagine a day and age where the world is ran by boys and girls and not men and women? Could you imagine what the world would look like if the people who were running everything were really just thinking about themselves first and foremost, instead of the good of society and the good of others and what the world needs as opposed to what I need. We need boys to become men. Boys to men. <laughs> Although we go... That's a song from the 90s. And if you're lucky, today I may make it to a song in the 2000s. I don't know. I believe children are the future. Teach them well. I don't know the rest. Everybody look away. Look away from over here. So the difference between a boy and a man is character. You can always look at somebody. You know, you know, for me personally, one of the quickest ways I can ascertain someone's character, primarily men, is if they can look you in the eye when you talk to them. The Bible says that the eyes are the window of the soul. Where he's like, oh, make direct eye contact with Jacob right now. 
If he looks at you, don't look away. <laughs> it is true, though. If you, when you have a, <laughs> I feel like everybody's really staring right now. <laughs> I'm just going to close my eyes for a minute. You'll have conversations. <laughs> when you have conversations with guys, if they can't hold your gaze while you're talking to them, there's something in there. There's something in there. That's the quickest way that I'm able to ascertain something about somebody. When I have a conversation with somebody, I was talking to somebody two weeks ago and, and just couldn't, couldn't make eye contact. Would look down, look over here, look over here, look up, look up, and was talking the entire time but would not make eye contact with you. That tells you there's something inside that person that they can't look you in the eyes because you can see. Have you ever had conversations with people and you feel like, I feel like this person is staring into my soul? And they're, they're trying to see what's happening inside of my mind and my heart. And they're listening to the voice of the Spirit. So people don't make eye contact. So it's character, which is the big difference between a boy and a man. Now, how do we get that character? How do we get righteous character? How do we get godly character? How do we get the kind of character that makes us men as opposed to the character that makes us boys? Because on our own, on our own it's pretty tough to do. Because your flesh is so strong and you want to live your life serving yourself and you want things that feel good and you want, to, you want to buy nice clothes, you want to have nice toys and you want to think about yourself first and foremost. So how do we get the kind of character that makes us men, that makes us godly men? How do we become godly men as opposed to little boys? How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, for me, I always like to go back to the beginning and look at the original design. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see the account of man and we've looked at this three times already since I've been here in January. I know that because I like the scripture. But sometimes you just need to go back to the big beginning and see how things were designed so that you know what it was supposed to look like, right? Like if you're building something, you've got to look at the design. They're building houses in our neighborhood, and they are out walking around with big scrolls and plans of houses and what the ground is supposed to look like, and what flowers are supposed to go where. They have these plans so they can get it right. But if you want to know what we're supposed to look like, what a man is supposed to look like, then you should go back to the very beginning when, when men were created, when women were created, and we can see the roles and what that looks like. How great is that? Because, really, if you go do a quick Google search, you'll find out that nobody really knows the answers to these questions. I don't know what a man is. Man doesn't cry. A man beats somebody up. A man doesn't beat somebody up. A man looks strong. He's a protector. He's a defender. Those guys in those videos were just talking. This, these are ideas that we get from movies and, and from somebody. I, I watched one video yesterday, and the guy was, they were asking, um, it was a one-word association, right? So they wanted you to say, the first word you thought of when you thought of men. And this one guy, right away, is like, well, historically, what I think of is men beat their wives. So obviously, this guy grew up in a home, and that's what, that's what life was to him. That's what a father was to him. That's what a man was to him. So we need to go back to the Word of God and find out what a man is and what we're supposed to be so that we can recreate ourselves so that when Cam has kids, Cam knows how he's supposed to raise that kid, Right? So in Genesis chapter 2, 
in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in the Eden east, and there he placed the man he had made. Go down to verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Everybody say, sure to die. Sure to die. die. The first thing we see here is this. Right away, right away, when you see that picture of God breathing life into man that's a symbol of relationship so what is a godly man what makes a godly man you start with that foundation of a relationship with God that's where you start at that's the first thing that God did he breathed that breath of life and guys I've said this to you before and I'll say it until the day I die man was the only thing created at this point there was only man Woman wasn't around yet, right? So man was the only thing created that God breathed his breath into. He wasn't breathing into the cows. He wasn't breathing into donkeys. He wasn't breathing into zebras or platypuses or giraffes or the birds or the snakes because nobody even likes snakes. He wasn't breathing into those things. He breathed into man that breath of life bringing relationship, relationship, relationship. So the first step in being a godly man is having that relationship. Philip, it's having your own relationship with God. Not your dad's relationship, not your grandma and grandpa's relationship, not anybody else in your family's relationship. It's you having your own relationship with God so that you can have that foundation, so that he is breathing life into you. How do you get that life breathed into you? (gasps) Good question. So glad you asked. I know you didn't, but I'm going to answer the question anyways. Because it's not like God comes to your, your house and he's like, Hank, uh, sit down. I'm going to breathe into you now. <sighs> we have God's relationship with us by reading the word, by spending time in prayer, by fellowshipping with the believers and the saints, by coming to church, by hearing the word. All these things increase our relationship with him. But first and foremost, it's through the word and prayer. Can I get an amen? Amen. Men, let me say this to you today. Let me say this to you today. So you can say you've never heard me, or you can never say you've never heard me say this. Men, women, boys, girls, anybody in the sound of my voice, you need to. You ready for this? Read your Bible. You need to read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 and you'll grow, 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 and you'll, Uh, but don't read your Bible, and don't ever pray, and you'll, what has Kids Church done to us? Margaret, what has kids church done to us? Childlike faith. The first thing for godly men is this. We need to have a relationship with God. The second thing you see here is there is an understanding of purpose and destiny. Ladies, if you're looking for a man, 
He needs to know his purpose and destiny in life. He needs to know where he's going. He needs to know who God has called him to be. A man cannot take you on a journey with him if he has no idea where he's going. Ladies, you are called in the word of God to be helpers and helpmates. And you cannot come along and be a helper and a helpmate to somebody who has no idea where they're going. You will walk around in the desert for days and days and days and days. And eventually what happens is you say, you know what, man? Because... Mm, ladies, they get tired of walking around the desert, and they say this, all right, buddy, move over. I'm driving now. (laughs) So the Bible says that God made man, and he put him in the garden to tend and keep it. And then God gave him instructions and said, hey, all this you can eat, all this you can have, it's all yours. Don't go over there to those trees. If you eat them, you're going to surely die. But all this stuff is yours. Men, you must have a relationship with God. And the second thing you must do is have understanding of your purpose and your destiny. You can never have real understanding of your purpose and destiny without relationship with God. Maybe you didn't hear that. Because I felt like somebody should be like, oh man, that was for me. A lot of us, listen, I've been in ministry for 20 years now. I know, it's weird. I started when I was four years old. But anyways, (laughs) I have been in ministry for 20 years, and I have had countless conversations with people where they say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Well, do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Do you ask God? No. Well, hey, just a thought. We're all believers, and we believe that he created you, and he's got a purpose for every single person's life. He's got a reason you're here, so why don't you go talk to the one who wrote your days in the palm of his hand to find out what it is he has you called and ordained to do? And then why don't you grab a Bible and see what the Bible says about some stuff? And then when you're done that, spend some time praying. Yes? Exactly. You got to fight for these things. You do have to fight for them, don't you? We had a men's breakfast yesterday, and Pastor Blake talked about fighting. And there are things in your life that you will have to fight for, that you will have to contest for, that you will have to say like Jacob did when he wrestled with the angel. He said, I am not letting go from this place until you bless me. I love that story. Love it, love it, love it so much. It's a great picture The Bible says that Jacob wrestled with the angel of God all night long. And the Bible says that the angel put, he dislocated Jacob's hip. But Jacob wouldn't let go. I always have in my head this picture of the angel walking around with Jacob hanging onto his leg like this. Get off of me, Jacob. Get off of me. And Jacob's just being dragged around saying, I'm not letting go until you bless me. There are things in your life, men, that you will have to grab onto and hang. You will have to grab on and believe and contest for your family, for your finances, for your health, for your faith, for your marriage. There are things that you have to fight for that nobody else can fight for but you. And men, let me say this to you. As the head of the home, scripturally, it falls on you. You are the one that has to fight and contend and pray and believe God and get on your hands and your knees. You can't just say, you know what, I'm not taking care of this. You can go pray about it, baby, because I got to go watch the news. I got to go mow the lawn. I got to go to, I gotta go to work. Men, to become a godly man, the first thing you have to have is that relationship with God. 
The second thing you have to understand is who you are called to be, who he has destined you to be, who he said you are, not who everybody else says you are. And here's the thing. If you don't know who you are, everybody else will try and tell you who you are. If you don't know where you're going, everybody else is going to try and tell you where you should go. If you don't know what to do, everybody else is going to tell you what you should do. But there is one that always does know who you are and where you should go and what you should do. And that is our God and our Father. Stand up with me. Thank you so much for joining us today. We want to encourage you to take what you just heard and let it go deeply into your heart to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to be a part of what's going on here at Connect. Head over to connectchurch.ca to find out how.